are live for an exciting episode of First Strike. Before we start the show, we've got to plug our sponsor, FaceFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. Gotta plug a bunch of other stuff. If you want to join the First Strike Nation, go to patreon.com slash first strike. Every contribution matters, helps our show, helps us keep us going, helps with the hosting costs, with any equipment costs we may need, helps uh, us get the funds we need to get more merch started. I finally got my sample. It took a while for either customs or, or there were some warehouse issues uh, with the place. Finally got my first hoodie to be able to test out and uh, just put it on today. Really just got it in the mail today, even though uh, I was talking about it for two months now. So glad that I got my version now and uh, we'll see when the second run will happen. Um, also, going to plug MTG Nationals coming up uh, Canada Day weekend. Go to mtgnationals.ca for all of your information. Side event schedules up, a list of cosplayers up. Uh, this week, we're going to start rolling out who the artists are going to be. So make sure you check that out. Um, also, ffseries.facefacegames.com. Upcoming this weekend, Red Deer Open Plus and a bunch of different events. Uh, we've actually posted, published the rest of the schedule uh, outside of Ontario. We're still pending on all the different Toronto dates. But outside of Toronto, until the end of 2018, all the events are up. So there's a Vancouver Open Plus that people are excited about. So definitely check the whole schedule. Uh, tonight, packed show. we got Andy, who just won with his team, the Toronto Open. And then we got some Canadian legends coming on. Later on the show, Gabe Sang and David Rubel will be dropping by. and. I'll be really excited to, to talk to them because they came to fame before I jumped on the content creation scene. So I have a lot to, to learn about their past. Um, Derek, always with that funny smile in the background. I love you, Derek. Uh, how's it going, fellas? That was uh, my longest intro. How's it going, Derek? Oh, me first. Things are going great. I'm trying this new positivity thing for all the fans out there. Uh, new standard season. I don't have to play blue black mid-range anymore uh i'm just loving life you know that's how things are going right now really excited to get dave rude and gabe sango up on here can't wait to ask them about things it's gonna be sweet all right let's go straight to andy congratulations on your win and of course congratulations on other parts of your life as well my man yeah things uh i feel like i'm running very good in the in in life in all aspects yeah, I think you are. Um, and, and now you're, you're currently on vacation, right? So we're, we're getting you in the middle of your vacation. So you're not in your usual setup. You got the uh, usual iPhone, iPhone setup right now. Yeah, the Alex Bianchi special I've got going right now. <laughs> um, so let, let's just jump straight to it, Andy. You won. Uh, who are your teammates? And, and what did you guys end up playing? And this was team uh, constructed. Yeah, so uh, the team the whole time had planned to be the same team I, I plan on teaming with for the Grand Prix. So it was uh, me, Kale Thompson, and Devin Giles. Uh, Kale was playing Legacy and played uh, just boring Grixis Delver. I was playing Standard and playing like boring Moto List, Blue White Flash. And Devin was playing a Turbo Vizier combo in Modern, which I think was our best deck by, by a lot. And it's a deck that I. I would confidently say I've never heard of until Devin told me he was playing it. And I looked at it and I said, I have no confidence in this, but I have confidence in you. Please prove me wrong. 
basically the whole weekend was me being like, prove me wrong, prove me wrong. This deck looks like crap. But uh, he proved me wrong every single round. He killed on turn three, I think, five times in the tournament. And he also just, like, consistently killed through people playing, uh, like, a bunch of hate cards. And so for, for people who don't know the deck, it's just playing four Devoted Druid, four Vizier, two Walking Ballista, Summoner's Pack, uh, two Summoner's Packs, four Eldritch Evolution, and four Quarter Calling, no Collected Company, no Plan B. It's Plan A, and that's it. And it plays Postmortem Lunge, which is a really weird card, but it allows you to combo off after they killed, killed your Devoted Druid because it gives it haste. And also plays Lightning Greaves to play around removal. And it's, it's insane. It's, I could not believe how many times he, he just... I'd look over, and he's like, yeah, I've won, I've won game one, we're going to game two. And then I, I would look at his matchups, and he's like, oh, I'm playing against humans. I was like, they don't, they don't stand a goddamn chance, is all I'm thinking to myself. <laughs> they can't beat this deck at all. And then like, I look over, and he's playing against Jund. I was like, well, all right, he can't win them all. But he did. He just he wins them all. Um, wow. So I've heard about the Vizier deck a while ago when it was first, when the card first got printed, Vizier Remedies, people were thinking about the different combos, and you're saying this is maybe a streamlined version where you're just going even faster, more combo-oriented? Yeah, exactly. So you're going even faster. Even faster, more consistent, and Modern's getting to a place where there's a lot of linear fast decks. That's what we talked about with uh, previous episodes is that humans and Hollow One are these super punishing, fast, linear decks. And what better thing to do is to sidestep that and be faster and more linear. And I think it, it hits a sweet spot in those matchups. And also, like, there's so many decks, nobody knows what's going on. Nobody. I've, I've, we, he killed a Jeskai player who had a lightning bolt in their hand. He killed a, a Jund player who had removal, but he, he just played a Liliana the Last Hope and plus on his Devoted Druid because it looks like that stops the combo. But uh, it actually didn't because he played Noble Hierarch, Noble Hierarch, attacked, got two Exalted Triggers, then went untap it, untap it, cord for two, kill you. This guy sounds like a genius. Most people would not see that line. Dude, when he attacked, I was like, you're an idiot. You're just attacked for zero, is what yeah, I said. Yeah. And then he's yeah. like, untap it, tap, untap, tap. I was like, oh my god. How do we know that this like this deck isn't just bad and this guy's just a genius? Like he's just a super genius. Just a, yeah. I don't I don't know. I, I know the guy quite well. And he's, <laughs> he's, he's not a genius. Smart. I wouldn't put him as a. He's not a super genius. If I if I wanted to find this list, where would I find it? Just on Goldfish, or should I like uh, Google? If you go There's a trios uh, recap, okay. and uh, you can see it in the first place winning deck list. Are we one? Nice. What? <laughs> I said this. Um, you can. Uh, there's going to be need some fixes on the uh, decklist front because uh, of the apostrophes. I'm going to have to fix that up through the show. But yeah, you can definitely check that out on MadderPrive.com on the open recap. Um, I'm used to seeing Devin play some roguish type strategy. You said you found this on. Did you say you found this list on Moto? Yeah, or he, he found it on Moto. And uh, so basically his. The way he plays modern is he like tries to take a broken combo deck, plays it, and if he loses with it, he's off it. He's he'll find a new deck, and so he played Ironworks. He's like, this deck too smart. I'm off it. He moves on, and he already owned a lot of the cards for like Counters Company and saw this Turbo version. He's like, oh, I'll try it out, and so he like 
like undefeated to local tournaments. He's like, whatever. And then he goes to like a, a face-to-face open trial for the team trios and just undefeated that whole tournament. And then eventually he's like, guys, I'm like, I'm going to run it back. Like maybe it's, it's all luck and it's not actually that good, but let's, let's see, let's see if it's that good. And once again, the, the deck performed and I was a complete doubter, but now it's just so hard after seeing what I've seen to, to hate on the deck. Like, it's, is it fragile? In theory, yes, but like it just eventually will win. All it does is play these combo pieces. That's all it does. That's all it'll draw. You know how frustrating it gets when like the Abzan company players, they draw their second copy of stuff, and you're like, oh, they got the second Viserys Seer. Well, imagine if you just play four. You played four of it all. And you always drew your second and third copy. That's all the deck does. Wow, I'm just I'm just lost for words because it seems like every other week, whether it's KCI or this, there's there's some deck that uh, we're super excited about. Starting with obviously uh, Christian Christian Brand, that was uh, that was a start. Like every couple of weeks, we're, we're seeing this, and wow, people should definitely check out this Turbo Counters Company list. I assume he's going to be playing it next weekend. Let's jump to your list, Andy. Uh, you know, we, we, me and you had talked, we've dissected Standard together the early week, and people appreciate it. The, the listeners love that segment, your insights, and you had a lot of thoughts. And then now you did a 180. I mean, you were trashing on Merfolk Trickster, and you didn't like steal away, but pers- in a specific deck, right? In a specific configuration. And now we see you crushing with four Merfolk Trickster. And we, we saw you post about in the nation that you're like oh change my mind <laughs> yeah like so I, I give my honest first take opinions and my impression of cards and decks based on all the experience i've had playing similar decks and similar cards but like i i knew eventually i was going to have to like do the homework and so i grabbed the deck and i just i ran it through one league and immediately 5 and i was like oh okay okay maybe this deck's good i ran it through another one i owed to i was like oh maybe maybe not so good and then i 4-1 and then 5 would again and i was like well I have a tournament like tomorrow. I might as well play this deck. Like I can buy all the cards from face, <clears throat> order them, pick them up at the event, and then just just run it. Like it it has Teferi, and the specific list I played has four Teferi in the seventy five, and I identified that and History Banalia as like the two best cards. I had a like, four four of each of them in my seventy five, so I felt pretty comfortable running it. Upon further research and analysis, I'm I'm still torn on how good it is. Uh, Raf Capuchin is actually very good because of what it does in against control decks because it changes the texture of game and it eats two twos. But at the same time, three three body is not that good. So it's a balance, and it's going to take a while to figure out the the balance and where everything should sit. Because currently, things are changing so fast and so often that we're in the great part of standard where what I say today is not going to be the same as how I feel next week when I play with a bunch of different decks. And, and I'm, I'm fine and comfortable saying that, that I'm going to be wrong about a lot of things, but I think eventually I'm going to get to the bottom of it. And I think uh, Sanders is, is moving more towards being solved. Basically, the problem right now is the decks that couldn't adapt with uh, Fight Hard Akiram because it dodges Seal Away and Cast Down are going to have to adapt to beat that card. And if they can't, then they're not going to be decks because Heart of Kieran's just the perfect threat in the format right now, pretty much. Hmm. So where is your head at heading uh, into the GP now? Well, into the GP, Devin is not allowed to switch decks at all. 
Uh, Kale probably Grixis Delver, just because it's it's the best deck. Even you could argue that like other decks are better, but it's just a fast deck, super consistent and disruptive. We're, we're gonna play that deck. That's Death Rite Shaman. Gotta ban that card, but they won't. And for standard, that's where I'm gonna really have to put a lot of work because. So Kale has the Pro Tour coming up, and, and I'm going to be doing a lot of testing for him for that. And we have the GP, which is obviously very important to all of us. So Standard is just going to be 100% on my mind going forward. And I think the, the next step is to try and figure out what... Uh, I, I think the white-black vehicles decks, I want to explore more myself. I've seen other people explore them a lot and come to some pretty good lists and pretty good conclusions. And honestly, they I played against two of them, and they beat the crap out of me with Karn <laughs> and Heart of Kieran. Those two cards together are very good. And I wonder if uh, there's a solution to that. And I wonder if there's a solution to figure out a way to make Teferi into a deck, because it is one of the most powerful cards I've ever played in a standard format. So that is, those are the two plans. So figure out vehicles, white-black, and try to figure out Teferi going I, forward. I saw you disagree with Saffron Olive's take that uh, Jason Mind Sculptor, like that Teferi's better? Is that what he said? So, so, there's, so there's just an insane recency bias. So people don't remember how incredibly frustrating it was to get buried <laughs> by Jason Mind Sculptor. So imagine, imagine you're playing a game and your opponent has two cards in hand, and they play a Jace, and then two turns later... You're like, oh, okay, like, we've traded a couple of resources back and forth cards in hand, they're like six. And you're like, oh, man, I've got two. That's what Jace the Mindstalker is. Teferi is like, they're like, oh, I have five cards, but I got a huge mana advantage, but at least I had to pay an extra mana for this thing. Like, <laughs> they draw so many cards for so, even, so little and on turn four. Even the standard format is completely different, right? There's no way Teferi can be better when Vrasa's Contempt is in the format. There's no way Teferi can be better when, like, Jace was played in a Squadron Hawk deck with Stoneforge Mystic. Like, that, 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 that take is just, like, completely ridiculous, right? It makes no sense. <laughs> Heart of Kieran is a Stone Cold Planeswalker Slayer. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, what, like... I'm... I'm a... <laughs> okay. That was awesome. Um, Derek, uh... And you talked about blue white. You talked about uh, black white vehicles, but your mind, your mind's on another path. You're bringing it back. Black green constrictor. Yes. Yes, that's where it's at. I five out on moto three times <laughs> in the past two days, and the deck sucks. But ravenous chubacabra is insane, and it turns out that when your opponents aren't playing. Uh, Indestructible four drops and indestructible five drops. Shriekma on four mana is sick. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and Adventurous, uh, the new Oath Anissa, that's a sorcery. That card's right. also very good. I think that's the sleeper of the set right now. It's, it's really, 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 really good. Uh, I love the deck. It's, it's, I play so poorly and it pulls me out of really bad positions. Um, it's like, I don't know if you've seen the Osip Lebedowicz uh, talk about uh, Ravager. Calls it a fairy godmother. That's how I feel about Walking Ballista. And it's just so sweet. I also love Glint Steve Siphoner. I wish I could marry Glint Steve Siphoner. I bought 46 on Moto for like 
four and a half tickets and they're like 5.1 now. And I made 70 cents on each of them. So if everybody could go buy more, raise the price on GoBots, uh, that'd be great. I love being positive. <laughs> so you're killing stuff like Lyra with, with Ravnus uh, Chukupapapapa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Lyra, you can kill. So it's really good against history. Um, you can kill one of the tokens and block the other one. History is really bad if you don't have a board advantage to pressure it. Like three mana for a 2-2 two -two and then a 2-2 two -two is, a, is a pretty poor interaction with Heart of Kirin. So unless your opponent's going exactly toolcraft into Heart of Kirin, um, into uh, history, like you don't actually fall that too far behind. And because you're playing a very high like impact spell on turn two, if your opponent also doesn't interact with you, you can also run away with the game quicker than they can. So the, the, the fundamentals of the deck is that you play a good two-drop, um, you do something on three that doesn't usually matter, and then you play a removal spell on four in Chupacabra or Vras's Contempt, and then Gearhulk on five, and then as the game goes on, Ballista takes over. I have a one of Vraska. Um, you have... It's just the, the deck, the dynamics of the deck is very powerful right now, and it, it can also play Land of War Elves, which is something I think that helps out the deck a lot, which a lot of other decks can't utilize properly. So what, why has uh, Siphoner gone up? Is it because Green Black's actually doing well online as well? Is that what's happening? Um, so a couple people have posted their deck lists on Twitter. I think Jerry T posted a black... Or I know Pascal Maynard tweeted a, a Green Black deck a couple days ago. Um, the, the card is actually just insane. If we look over the past two years, it's been in the majority of black decks for forever right since it was printed um and i think people just need to find a place for it to fit and then once they do that everybody's like oh yes lindsey siphoner is bonkers again uh it's just finding out how good it is and i think this deck is the best lindsey siphoner deck and i think it's one of the better like it's in the in my top five decks uh going forward it, it might be what i play at toronto and it'll probably be what i play this weekend Whoa. Andy, has this green-black archetype been on your radar? Uh, I always identify green-black as one of the best into an open, uh, like an unsolved field uh, deck because uh, it's incredibly proactive, it's powerful and synergistic. And when the field has not solved itself and has not decided it needs to figure out how to deal with green-black, it's going to run people over really fast and it's going to be the games are going to be embarrassing because if you're not prepared to beat green black it's going to embarrass you so i think people need to basically get they need to change their decks to beat green black if it ends up being as as good as Derek is suggesting and it, it does have the tools to even overcome that so green, green black's in a pretty good spot right now lenoir elf one of the top cards to come out of the set and green black utilizes it well and i think uh I'm not sure if Derek's list plays any. I'm sure it does. Probably does in the sideboard. But Karn is also just another great creature for a plane for, for these kind of decks or a planeswalker for these kind of decks. I I don't play it because the the four drop is already pretty tight, and they're better. They're better planeswalkers. Like, a, uh, sorry, I play one Vraska in the main. This is actually better against the control decks. Uh, and so and so you play the um, the Pokedex. What's the Pokedex called? Uh, whenever you cast a creature, pay green, draw a card. Uh, bestiary. Yeah, bestiary, whatever. that card's really good in the grindy matchups. And um, I think what you said about preparing for green-black, I think is a true statement. But I think it's also a true statement about 
every other deck in the format. And that's not like a hyperbole. I think if you want to be mono red, you just can be mono red. If you want to be blue white, you can be blue white. If you want to be black red, white black, these vehicles decks, you can. You just have to prepare for them. I think green black also fits that. And that's why I still put it in the top five because although it is weak to wrath effects and like a lot of spot removal, uh, you can't really bring a deck like that into the metagame and expect to be white black, expect to be mono red consistently or expect to be control, right? You just can't have a bunch of removal against control. And so I think like green black going forward finds that special pocket in the metagame that makes it so you have to have cards to beat it. But if you have cards to beat it, you also can't really beat a lot of the other decks. Um, that's why I like it going forward. And like you said, sometimes you just run people over. They aren't prepared. Yes. The, the standard the standard is great. Uh, yeah. So the, the, the things you've described are exactly uh, are the characteristics of what a good standard format is to me like a bunch of powerful decks that are all just like pretty good but uh if they ever become too good will no longer be good so then you got to kind of keep uh up with the ebb and the flow of of a meta game which is great instead of having to keep up with a scarab god arms race or like some some other similar effect of like dominant decks like the team or energy arms race yeah. it's good to just kind of go from deck to deck as they position themselves well, and maybe new cards emerge as answers to a couple decks, and then the, that deck becomes good, and then we got to figure out how to beat that deck. And, and we definitely see that that's a true statement based on the fact that Blue-White won an SCG two weeks ago, and now in Moto results, like, Blue-White isn't as dominant because people are realizing, I can just play around the Wraths, or I can just play more resilient threats. Um, and I think going forward, that that's going to be true. This is one of the best standard formats we've had in, in years. Uh, we had to see some, some good friends go down, but I think it's, it's all for the better, you know, like RIP Smuggler's Copter, RIP Felidar Guardian, but I do kind of want to know what it would be like to have Felidar Guardian with Sagas. Like, do you think, you think that would be insane? Or do you think it would be just good enough? I, I don't know. I haven't thought about our old, our old cat friend in quite a while. I, I dream about it. I, I, I miss like it, it so much. Is it a cat knight? Cat knight. Oh, <laughs> the knight of... Can you imagine? It's, it's pretty cool to see that uh, not only people are raving about the standard format, people are raving about the limited format as well. Like Pre-release was at um, a recent eye uh, from what I've seen. And not only that, like, uh, we have a booster league at our store going on that's uh, just constructing a deck with with six packs and then if if you lose in the league you, you buy a punishment pack that's how the local one works at face face games and there's been more people playing that than i think ever before or, or it's been another recent high so people are loving dominaria overall whether it's constructed or limited it sounds like this the set is a home run uh, thoughts on that andy uh, yeah, I know. I think the set's incredible. So if if you look at my deck list for, for the open, I think it only had three cards that were printed before Dominaria, like not including lands, in the main deck. It was like Torrential Gear Hulk, Commit to Memory, and that might even be it. There, there might be one, one card I can't remember off the top of my head. But that's it. The entire deck is a Dominaria like block deck. And that's just from one set. Like It's not very often that you have one set have so many powerful cards that it affects a standard format this much without a rotation happening. 
And I, I tried to ask my friends, like, oh, is this the most effect one set has ever had when a rotation hasn't happened? And it's kind of like a long list of, like, things before you agree with it. But at the same time, I think it might, it might be true, but it might be, like, one of those, like, it's the best, like, uh, you're the best Derek with red hair and a goatee and that nose thing. One of those type things. But I think, uh, I think the set's in- incredible. And the limited gameplay is kind of slow, and uh, you can build some, like, mid-rangey stuff, and there's some cool interactions. I think that's exactly kind of what you want after we've had, like, aggro be so prevalent for so long, and then mopey dinos. I think it's, it's, a, it's a relief in, uh, in limited and constructed. And, and Profane Procession, nowhere to be found. That's a delight. All right. Derek, Derek, you wanted to finish your thoughts? Yeah, I just want to say, I also think a lot of people um, who don't play competitively really resonate with the idea of Dominaria as a set. Um, I think if we look at the past couple of years, the surges in sales, and I think going like return sets have a lot higher sales than non-return sets. I think um, Shadows had a good sales uh, level. I think Battle for Zendikar, Morrow actually said that it was one of the worst, but I think that's also because the, the set was really, really, really bad. Um, but Ixalan wasn't great. Uh, Kaladesh wasn't great because everything got banned. And I think, I think Dominaria is really, really in a good place for going forward standard sets. Yeah, my, my LGS has told me that Dominaria has outsold Amonkhet block right now. That <laughs> does not surprise me. That block was poop. I went to that pro tour. It was bad. <laughs> okay, uh, Derek, who, who are you teaming up with uh, for your RPTQ? Uh, it's uh, it's David Rude and uh, some other random that we probably shouldn't talk about on this cast. Oh man, why, why didn't you get the, Why didn't you just get Gabe? Gabe on the on the team. We were close. Like our third played so poorly at the last RPTQ that Rude was like. <laughs> If he ever plays this poorly again, can we just cut him? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, maybe. Yeah, probably. Like, like I'd like to go to the Pro Tour, and you guys have already won one, so let's go. But I, I can't do that, unfortunately. All right, all right. Let me, let me just introduce them really quick. We got David Rude and Gabe Sang in the First Drake pod room. Welcome to the show, guys. Pro War champions. Guys, I've heard talk about. For so long, actually, like I came on to the scene in content creation Twitter, like in 2010. But every good player would mention you guys or have stories about you guys here and there. I got to meet Dave, I think, at a, a GP Toronto, where he sort of came back to, to play that GP, possibly, Dave. And uh, yeah, but been hearing so much from you guys now that you guys are back, uh, seemingly strongly. Or, or Dave, you've, you've told me you've, you've been back for for a bit now, but just to see Gabe streaming and all, man. Super excited to see you guys. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Yeah, man. <laughs> Thanks for, for having us. Um, I think I've, yeah, I've been back for like a year, basically. GP Toronto was my first event. I was back uh, like a week before the GP, so it was like double pre-release for me pretty much. But yeah, so I've been playing GPs here and there, and uh, there was Team GPs uh, Limited. Uh, so Columbus and then DC. So I was like, Gabe, you got to come back, man. I'll find us another another player. We'll bring the old squad back and everything. Try to see if we can string some finishes. So we got John Stern as a last that went to Columbus. I didn't go like as, as well, but like, there's still another one and stuff. Yeah. 
it's more so they got me after we went to dinner with a whole bunch of people and i was like oh i guess i'll have to come back (laughs) (laughs) um what was uh like gabe why did you stop for a while was it others like the usual answer other stuff in your life took priority and then now you're coming back i think gian gave that as his answer it's more just like in like 97 this is a long time ago obviously but in 97 i had like my massive breakout and i made like back-to-back top eights and then i made the canadian naturals top eight as well and then like all the way from like pretty much from 97 to like 2000 ish maybe 2002 my like uh results started to decline a little bit right obviously like top eight top eight and then like started not do so well so like i was slowly slipping away from the game at that point but like i always enjoyed teams so pretty much from like 2002 all the way into like 2005 i would just go to the pt for a team event right and basically like i was on my way out so all the way to like 2005 dave was like okay let's just go play the pt and i was like oh i'm starting to play world of warcraft i'm having a lot of fun playing this game kind of addicted so i was like i I guess we'll go i'll go if you find us a teammate (laughs) right so this guy had to find a teammate out of the massive pool and he's like okay i got gabe nasif (laughs) this random gabe nasif player of the year because we needed like 35 pt points to queue and he had like 70 because me and Dave had like 15 or something. So I played with Nassif and then randomly won. And I was like, well, now we just won the PT. I guess I can just officially quit now because <laughs> I was still on my way out. <laughs> and that's pretty much what happened. For, for the record, I did play like two more PTs after that. I didn't like quit right away like he did. What did, uh, what did you say to Seth Manfield, Dave? Was, yeah, like we're sitting out for dinner after uh, just after John Cena got second GP Toronto, and I'm like you and uh, like before Gabe gets there because he was the last one to get to dinner. I'm like, yeah, you and this guy were coming. You have something in common. You're both the reigning like you both won the last pro tour you played. Basically, it's probably a feat that nobody else can say, right? <laughs> <laughs> Super impressive stuff. Um, Gabe, so you you said you're saying you had this hot run. Um, I got asked like now that you're streaming, I, I'm streaming. Tim Aiden uh, tweeted, like retweeted one of your uh, tweets that uh, one of your stream links called you one of the top five ten drafters of all time. You think that's? Okay. Do you think that's a little exaggerated if if you said your your run was really hot? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's exaggerated. Like, I don't, I want to be modest, but like, I think in 97, I was probably one of the better limited players in the game. And like, back in that time period, we used to like money draft a lot and I didn't lose very many money drafts. Granted, my teams were always like pretty stacked. Brian Hacker was always on my team and he used to always find me drafts. I drafted with Gary Wise a whole bunch too on my team, Randy Bueller. So like, we had like Mike Turian as well, Sigurd Esklin. So my teams were pretty stacked, but like I probably won like as a team, probably like 75%, maybe 80% of my money drafts. So to say, I don't think I was like overrated as like a top five to 10 limited specialist in the world, but like uh, somewhere along that. I love it. I love it. Uh, Dave, I didn't get, uh, why did you step away? Like Gabe was so slowly on his way out, but what about you? Um, 
like I I'd been on the train a couple of years and I was like it was never my plan to like play Magic full time. Back in the day, there wasn't like as much money I guess as there is. It's not that there's like so much now, but right. um, and I made like the transition that a lot of Magic pros at the time did, and I started playing poker full time, which is what I've pretty much been doing for the last like 15 years. That's why I'm in. I was in Brantford. That's where I met Ginger and stuff like that. So like, yeah. So I was kind of kind of transitioning to that. I got married. So like, Magic kind of took a back seat, but you know, I don't think you fully, like, completely forget about Magic. It's sort of, like, here and there, you'll think, like, which is, like, the same way I came back. I was just like, oh, there's a limited GP in Toronto. Maybe I'll go play that, right? So I went to play that, made day two, didn't cash. But then I was like, okay, let me look at the schedule and see what other, like, limited GPs are around and stuff. So, yeah, it's pretty much how I came back. Uh, are, are you and Gabe playing uh, GP Toronto? That's a constructed GP? Um, I'm playing... I'm playing the, the constructed GP Gabe is and he just started playing again. I think I, I can let him answer for that for himself. But I'm playing with um Sammy T and uh Jar Fabiano, which is just love Sammy, he's a fun guy, and every time I'm sure we'll have a good time. And I me and Jar go way back. We actually top four our for um our first PT together, like um so in Boston two thousand two. So we've always been tied. So it's like I came back, I, I would say like ninety nine percent of people didn't know who I was. Like last year or whatever so i was like let me see if i can find a team to get together for gp Toronto. like i actually played in hamilton like random stores for like six months i don't think anybody recognized me it was it was pretty awesome i'm just playing against people and i'm playing modern and reading every card they're playing so yeah it was it's pretty cool so i'm going to be playing the modern seat uh gerard's playing standard and sammy's going to play legacy all right i gave you gonna sit this one out yeah like everything was pretty much predicated from that like dinner we had. Like it was a dinner with like Sam Party, uh, Brian Braun, and like Seth, and then uh, Dave and John. So we had dinner, and they just like were like, "You should come back. It's a pretty good time to, to play more." So I was thinking about it over the next couple of days, and I was like, "Yeah, okay, I could just phase myself in, play limited. I always enjoyed limited. So just phasing myself in. I've only been back like seven weeks now." So just phasing myself in playing limited, and then I wasn't. Don't think I'm prepared to play a constructed tournament at like any level, past like local like Friday Night Magic type stuff. And I've logged zero matches of modern or standard, so <laughs> not yet. But I'm queued for nationals now, so I'm gonna practice after Washington DC. I'm gonna start hitting standard and hitting Derek up for advice and to see for her advice. Oh god! Oh god! <laughs> Same quality of players right there. <laughs> Sorry, Derek. Um, <laughs> Dave, is there anything you you've learned over the years uh, uh, in terms of uh, preparing for a tournament, like either the GP or, or nationals, that uh, you would do now that you might not have necessarily done before? Um, anything like different? I mean, there's so much more information out there. Like when I when I used to play, like. Okay, it wasn't. I wasn't. It was so. That wasn't so long ago that Magic Online wasn't on. But like, I would just draft nonstop. Like me and Gabe would be at his house, and we'd just be like drafting cues over and over again. And now, like, I feel like you sh- you have to like mix in viewing what other people are doing, whether it's watching a stream of somebody whose limited game you respect, or watching videos of pros and stuff, even reading like rankings and stuff. So I just think in general, the like I used to just jam game. I think now like you're. There's, it's much easier to compare. Like the average player at a GP is much better than it used to be. Like back when I played, like I think the top pros are about the same level as they used to be. But I think like the average 
random guy who plays like a Friday Night Magic or like PPTQs and stuff is probably a lot better. So like even learning from what other people are doing is even more valuable than it used to be. Like I used to play like a side event or like a Friday Night Magic and play against a guy and like he would beat me around me. I'd be like, okay, fine, you beat me. Maybe like you got lucky or something. But now like there's like so much more strategy out there that the average guy can bring a lot to the table. You can find like a draft archetype that can that you might not have thought about it. Hmm. Uh, what about you, Gabe? Yeah, I'd prefer Trent. I'm pretty much always going to have to like identify like what people are really trying to try to do to me inside like the tournament. So I have to like identify what like the the meta really is, and identify pretty much how they're going to beat me. So once I can do that, then I can figure out like a strategy of like how to combat that. Well, um, man, uh, Andy, it, it's weird to me, though, that uh, even though there's been a lot of time since these guys uh, won the PT until now, I just feel like maybe it's just me. Like, the same names are still the same best Canadian players. Am I wrong, Andy? Like, we see maybe an emerging star here and there, but it's always Alex Hayne, always John Stern, the same names over and over again. Yeah, uh, we got a lot of the the same players doing well. Like we have a, a smaller density of players than like the, the states do. So like the same names get resonated so many times that like it's always going to be those guys are like the top ten or whatever in the country. So it, it's not that surprising, but uh, it is sometimes like you get emerging stars here and there. Like we have so many people who are on the brink right now. We have so many in Canada. We have like the Daniel Fourniers of the world, the, the Edgars of the world, or, or very close, honestly, to, to breaking through to being, like, full-time pro magic, and, and I mean that. So it's just about getting these players to the next level, and, and when they start working together more often, like what you can see in Toronto, is there's a good hive mind there with, uh, like, Lucas Xiao and, and all those guys that <clears throat> I think there's a good chance that we have, like, a big batch of names come out of that group. I mean, I, I don't know how like how emerging he is, right? But like I've I've been I haven't known Edgar for long, but I've I've tested with him like we tested Team Seal a little bit, and I've been talking to him on, online and stuff. Like the guy seems really good. Like if if that's what counts as emerging, I mean, if for me it feels like he's right there. So like I, it might be like whether like how motivated he is to travel for GPS and stuff like that. But like I'm I'm sure if he puts in the time, he's he's gonna get on the train or whatever the equivalent is now. I guess it's gold and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm looking forward to testing or whatever limited or constructed with him i'm sure there's other people i don't don't know but around the ontario area i've been like traveling here and there the events around around the province and he he seems like one of the better ones yeah it seems like the real deal for sure i think uh i think the difference is like southern ontario magic is really good right now in the past two years we've had a lot of grand prix top eights and like paul dean has a pt top eight and you guys are getting back into the game we have hoeing going to our ptqs and like He's not winning them all, right? Like, that just really shows how good the the Toronto RPTQ scene is. It's just, like, I think that the majority of players aren't putting in the same amount of time or effort as the Seth Manfields and the Owen Turnwalds of the world are. Like, if, if we if we recognize that Edgar and Fournier and all these players in Southern Ontario are, like, that close, then, like, what's the difference? It's probably they're not getting lucky, they're not putting the time in, or they're not playing with the right people, right? And I think going forward, like, if those things change, we'll start seeing more players that we know personally 
emerging uh, onto like a higher level, right? But I, I think right now Ontario Magic's great. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping to see. And yeah, uh, good for you to point that out, uh, Dave. I agree completely with you. I think Edgar's probably the first name that comes to my mind that has like had crazy good consistent results over the past two, one or two years. Um, but like even even Hoenn, uh, I think people think that once he walks in any tournament, he's the best or top two, top three limited player walking in into nationals. That's still the case. And just waiting until you get into that class, Derek. I mean, it's going to happen with these guys, right? I, I have a long ways to go, and I have a lot, a lot of work on my game before I start doing that. Well, but yeah, why don't you start with the team RPTQ? That'd be a good way to start. Sounds good. To yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, that's the first step, right? Yeah. <laughs> Cut the third guy. Put game in. That's, that's my advice. Uh, I'm not the kind of person to ditch teammates. It's not exactly my style. I uh, just felt like saying that with Gabe on the show. Uh, Gabe, you've been streaming. Uh, you have a schedule on on your Twitch profile. I jump in and out and uh, always pick your brain on basketball because the playoffs are going on and uh, the Raptors got swept. Uh, sad news. Uh, but what are your plans uh, for streaming? Is this uh, something you just want to do for, for the foreseeable future? Um, I figured like I was going to play a lot. Like, for team events in general, and probably in, like, Magic these days, like, to get back to a PT-type level, I would assume that I would have to just put in time. And I have a lot of time right now. So I might as well, like, just stream and then maybe, like, teach as well, like, while I'm on stream and, like, learn off viewers as well, right? If they ask me questions, like, I can think about how I want to answer the questions and how to approach solutions. And, like, they can, everybody can come up with stuff that I don't think of. So it's really interactive and it goes like helps both ways too. So I'm just going to go as is and just stream, see where it takes me kind of thing. But like indefinite is my, would be my answer. Just uh, stream until I want to stop or something else happens or whatever. <laughs> um, so what do you think about, uh, did you have the Raptors winning? I forget. I had the Raptors winning, yes. Before, <laughs> before the series started, I definitely had the Raptors winning. Um, probably in like five or six, I would say. But yeah, apparently LeBron James is one of the best players of all time, which we already knew, but he might be the number one at the <laughs> time, which is, eh, happens. I was just saying, um, Dave got dabbled into, got into poker, not dabbled, got into poker. Uh, when did you get started into uh, NBA analytics? What, what drew you in? Um, more just, I really, okay. So Dave started a basketball pool um, maybe eight years ago. And I was really, really casual into basketball. But I am savagely competitive when it comes to anything. So when it comes to fantasy basketball and Dave uh, pretty much was winning year in, year out, I was like, okay, this can't happen. I, I, I know sports, I know analytics, so basically just took uh, a lot of time and spent a lot of time looking at NBA stats and looking deeply into them and <laughs> for the purposes of winning this pool. And now I've won back-to-back. Dave is like, oh... I might have to quit now, <laughs> but yeah, basically I really, I started to really enjoy basketball after a couple of years of following into the pool and stuff like that. And that led me to really look deeply into like players and stats and why people win, why people do things. 
just like of that nature. And that's where it comes from. Right. Dave, you're almost going to quit? Um, I mean, I got this game now that took over my life a little bit. It's called Magic. I don't know if you heard of it. So I don't have so much time for like a little pool that some guy's lucking in, into a win every year. So I don't know. Might yeah. have to switch over to, you know, trying to top eight GPs again. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'm going to try to top eight PTs again. And I'm still in the basketball pool. <laughs> Shots fired. Gabe, you have, you have multiple top eights, right? What's your, what's your resume? I have three PT top eights. Um, yeah, one in teams. You have three top eights, one win? Yeah, three, three PT top eights, one win, yeah. Do you know how many pro points you have? Like, how, how much does it take you to get you on the ballot? Uh, I think I have like 130, something like that. Pro points. I don't, I don't know what it takes to get somebody on the ballot. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure either. I'm not uh, worried about it. Um, it will come. We'll come I mean, like, at some point. Who's the only other Canadian to be on the, the Hall of Fame? Gary Wise? Yeah, Gary Wise, that's yeah. it, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's the only Canadian Hall of Famer. I mean, I, I think... I mean, you, you, need, you need the finishes, right? Like, I, Gabe's yeah. got three, including a team win. I got two, both in teams, though, and, like, a Masters final, which doesn't really mean anything nowadays, but... I don't know. Hopefully, Gabe gets there, man. I'm sure if he puts in the time, he'll, uh, he'll get yeah, in this PT fine. top eight or something. But yeah, if I stick with it for like three or four years, and then go from there. Who knows? But like a lot of these players come from the same spot. Like um, you talked about Hohen earlier on. You talked about Gary Wise. Like we all play tested together. Like in the early 2000s, late 90s. Like these players all like as you said, like were we're a hive mind. We just like worked off each other, drafted like all the time, probably like five times a week. And like, this is before MTGO, right? So nobody had resources like that. That's why like Canadian magic was like so strong. And we drafted with like, uh, Eric Tam sometimes, Gary Krakauer, Matt Biano, like all these guys, we just played together. Ed Edo, Elijah Pollock, just like a whole bunch of really, really amazing players. Like, honestly speaking, like Richard Holman was like, kid that i pretty much met at like a comic book store and he didn't even know how to play magic and he lived like next door to me so i was like ah why don't you come we can go draft together whatever just have a nice time and then it went from that like he went from literally like kid at the comic store to like drafting at my apartment and then becoming like an elite player that he is today was he did he ascend to one of the top uh limited players of all time when you were playing already no pretty much like he was he was very good very decent when i quit but um he went off like after i quit probably in like 2007 ish i quit in like 2005 but probably in that time period he just went crazy (laughs) wow Okay, let's jump to some current uh, formats. Uh, Dave, any, what do you think about Dominaria overall and uh, any early success with it? Do you think you have it figured out? Um, I don't know about figured out. I mean, I, I love the format. It's just slow enough that you don't get completely destroyed if you don't have a two-drop, three-drop, like if you don't curve out perfectly. Um, I wish there was like just an evolving wilds in the format. That's what I've been saying, basically. Because like, they put in all these goals that are amazing. These legend, like legend sorcery. And these things that all like 
are based around you playing all these golds, and it just feels like the surveyor is just not enough fixing for like to enable all these cards that that they should. But other than that, I think the format's great. Um, I love that the like the bomb rares are all like most of them are like creatures that you can deal with. It's not like in the last format where you had like Tetsamog or Profane Procession stuff that like if your opponent played it, you just look in your hand, and you're like, yeah, I can't possibly win now. Like in this one, it feels like your opponent plays a bomb. It's like okay, it's a guy now. Like I can know for at least game two or three i can like save my removal or i can try to play around this stuff the, the removals there's lots of removal like on um, pretty much every color and um the archetype are pretty strong but there's no there's none in my opinion that are like completely overpowered it feels like um like everybody wants to draft the green black talent deck right that's what like the dream and that's what everybody feels like is like when it comes together it's amazing to me it feels like it's merfolk in in the last set and Rivals, like if you're the only draft at the table that's playing Talods, your deck's going to be amazing. It's probably going to be like unbeatable. But if like there's a guy drafting green, black, two or three spots away from you, or even like four spots away from you, your both of your decks are probably going to be mediocre, and you're going to struggle for like the key cards that you need. Um, I don't know. I I've, I think the format's great, and um, I haven't had like crazy amounts. It's like we played one GP. I'm going to play DC, and then I don't know. I might go to Vegas. I haven't decided yet, but. Um, I think, yeah, hopefully, hopefully stuff happens. Uh, what about you, Gabe? Well, what about your uh, online uh, drafts? How, how have they gone? And, and have you figured out a bit about it? And what do you think about Thalids? Um, I don't know about Thalids, but this is pretty much why me and Dave are such a good team. Because while he likes the consistent routes, I love the high variance, like legends, play bombs, play multiple colors routes, right? So I remember just a couple of days ago, we were talking. And a pack opens, and a, there's like a Quende and a Sway away. And he's like, oh, I'm going to take the Sway away. And I'm just like, well, maybe later on I'm going to get like a legendary sorcery or something. I'm just going to take the legend, right? So he just goes consistent, and I go heavy bombs, right? So second pick, he's like, okay, I'm going to take the, the Pegasus, the Mesa Pegasus, the Corsair. And I'm just like, no, I'm going to take the Avard. I'm just going to go crazy with white-black legends, and you go play like the consistent little guys that probably have, like, a more consistent winning percentage, but I'm just going to be, like, high variance. I'm going to go 3-0, or I'm just going to draft again. So, yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. <laughs> Dave? Is that, is that how? Yeah, I mean, I just think Silhouette is amazing in general, so, like, I would always go, like, that route. Plus, it feels like it leaves your options open in general. Like, we, we had this discussion uh, on Facebook or whatever, but I just think in general... I'm not a huge fan of the legendary sorceries. I feel like they they pull you into this kind of trap that you end up playing three colors a lot, and you end up having to run stuff like Yargle, which is not like horrible, but it's it's not exactly what I'm trying to do. And like other random legends, where I'm just trying to have like a consistent deck that's going to win a higher percentage of time, and just Whoa. like if I end up getting bombs later, I'll play them. But I'm I'm basically trying to avoid playing three colors in this format, even though like it feels like it's slow. I, I like I, we have this. Like I'm tracking all my stats and everything for, for like what archetype and how I'm doing, and it feels like anytime I draft more than two colors, my like I end up losing enough games because there's not enough fixing, not enough fixing that I'm happy playing. That I'd rather just stick to two color and try to be a little bit more aggressive. Like I've actually been winning a lot with white green, which I feel like is not like an amazing archetype in the format, but I feel like it's so underdrafted right now. Like I've and I've can almost bang that anytime I'm white green, I end up getting a Shana whatever. The, the legend 
Like I get him like six or seven pick because nobody's playing white green or they're not willing to splash. But that card's amazing, and like it just ends up being, you know, just really underdrafted right now. And things yeah. might change as like limited GPS or PTs happen. But for now, I think it's one of the really good underdrafted archetypes. Yeah, I think like the format's actually amazing. Just like everybody says, like it is super slow. But like I look at the stats now, and like I have a sixty-six win percentage with like all all decks, and Dave has a sixty-eight percent. All decks, and this is like our styles are so vastly different, right? Like I'm bomb based, he's like consistency based, and both styles can get to the exact same spot, right? Like both of us are winning like two thirds of our matches, so it's an amazing format. I, I got to pick your brain, Gabe, because uh, it was a topic on our last show. Um, because this was a conversation that came up with with my friends at uh, the local store at, at during FNM, where they were wondering like how many legends do you have to play to justify you know, having a legendary sorcery and how greedy like you talk about you're more greedy than dave how greedy are you like how many is enough I, I am really greedy i will do it off too obviously two is not enough right but like if i'm gonna fireball three of your creatures or fireball two of your creatures and you for like six i'll do it off too but honestly probably four four is probably like the optimal number Anything over four would be awesome. Anything less than four is probably a little substandard. I I think I would need like four if I was playing blue, just because I think like if you can have stuff like divination or if you can have a slower deck, you can get away with playing less legends than if you're playing say red green. They, I think you're going to need more to be able to cast the Jaya. But in most decks, I would need five to be happy, like, not having this card stranded in my hand. There's other like the thing is like legends are also like always going to be the best creatures you have in play like your opponents are going to want to kill them all the time right so like maybe if i'm playing black and i have stuff like soul salvage and acolyte to mill myself to try to find more legends or to bring back the ones they kill i would be pretty unhappy personally playing less than anything less than four and that's if i'm black or blue any anything else i'd, I'd want five for sure okay gonna ask this question because uh before the format even got really played lsv basically said that Friends shouldn't let other people, other friends play Navigator's Compass. Uh, where do you fall on that game? I agree. Navigator's Compass is pretty bad. <laughs> uh, I would have to have like a lot of bombs in multiple colors to be like probably four colors to be playing that. <laughs> I think it's pretty helpful. I think I think we get an agreement from from Dave on this one. Yeah, Navigator Com- Compass is just probably the biggest trap you can have in this format i think the only time i've played it is when i actually had two of the blue gin like the five six one that you need to tap an artifact to play him and then the the zero four that gets plus one plus zero for each basic island you have so it was like a way of trigger those guys but in general that card is unplayable like i think if you're playing three colors and you need you need to find a way to splash um you'd you'd be better off just playing a basic line of your splash color than playing the compass like it just yeah it looks like it fixes your mana but it actually doesn't like it's just you straight up took a mulligan the three life is almost insignificant in a format as slow as this in my opinion right um andy has to go so andy thanks for coming on do you have any questions for the guys any quick ones hmm Uh, i i don't know uh nothing off the top of my head i do appreciate uh you guys coming on the podcast though uh, everyone always says your guys's names as a sort of a half whisper uh, like, a, like a legend so it is no surprise to me that you're so capable of casting these legendary sorceries considering 
All right, thank you. Thanks for uh, co-hosting again, Andrew, and then uh, and it says Andrew, it's Andy, and uh, good luck with everything. Have fun with your fiance. So ciao. Um, we got Travis, our local limited grinder, in the chat. Uh, Travis, these guys, I, I don't know if I've introduced you to them, but Canadian, <laughs> I'm just going to say legends, even though they're here, uh, Pro Tour champions. Uh, what do you think about their answers for, for both legendaries and, and the compass? I, I think I agree with just about everything that was going on there. I think I lean more towards the consistency side uh, that David has been mentioning. Uh, that that's that's my wheelhouse. I've been getting a little more comfortable going in on the bomb oriented strategies that I've seen some success there. The one place I'm going to disagree a little bit is navigators compass. I, I think you need a very specific set of circumstances to come together for it to be a card that you want to play. And I think that most people will play them a little bit too often and make some mistakes, but where I've seen it be good is not where I'm playing a two color deck with a light splash where I'm playing a two-color deck that's just splashing everything, and I have card draw to back it up. So that card draw is going to be two divinations and the five-mana one. Or uh, I played a deck today that had three Gitu Chroniclers and was just stuffed with instants and sorceries. So like, I've got to recoup that card advantage somewhere because you're, you're absolutely down a card as soon as you cast it. But if I can be splashing Slimefoot in my Boros deck, all of a sudden that starts to get interesting. So, like, I, I've embraced the greed a little bit, and I think there's a place for the compass. I, I don't think it's straight up just, you know, tear them all in half when you sit down and open the packs. Uh, but generally speaking, I think I'm on the same page as these guys, and I think both strategies are viable. I've already done both. Uh, Gabe, off the top of your head, was there a card that you thought was either bad or good, but that went completely the other way as you played more? Uh, I think Run Amok was not very good. Uh, in our opening theory, and then as it plays, it's getting better and better, and I think, like, Pegasus Courser, like, that card in particular was just, it seemed average, and I wasn't sure how good it was, and that thing is an all-star. Like, literally, like, second best card in every pack, probably. <laughs> Next to the rare. Next oh, to the wow. sorcery, Dave. <laughs> Dave, what about you? What do you think? Um, yeah, I, I think basically Adam and Well is the card that I've been that has jumped the most for me. It went from being like it looks like a decent combat trick that I'll probably I'm most likely cut often, but then as you play the format and you play with the card, it feels like it went from being like I don't know maybe the seventh or eighth best con white common to I go Blessed Light, um, Pegasus, and then Adam and Will, and I basically run two. I've had decks where I ran three of them. It just feels like if I have Adam and Will and and we're ever having combat phases like you're just never going to win right like it's a youth act with your 4-4 i block with a bear random bear i cast adam and will like even if like so now i have like a 4-4 indestructible you have to decide if you want to use one of your combat tricks to save your guy i don't have to do anything like you're like my guy is going to survive no matter what and also like plays in in white pretty well you have like on service wing stuff like dub so you can play like on a creature and then you can back it up with like an indestructible trick in general i think it's one of those cards that People who start playing the format, like I'd, I'd say I've, I've probably done like 60, 70 drafts by now or something like that between live and on Magic Online. And it's one of those things where people who start the format have maybe done like eight to 10 drafts. will be like, you guys are always running this. Like this is what happened with Rob when we were talking, we were testing for the team GP. And I was like, yeah, like as you play the format, I think you're going to, that car is going to rise in your ranking too. 
So uh, that, that would be like the one card I would say. Okay. Um, I'm going to leave you guys with uh, one last topic before I let you guys go, uh, which is, you know, you guys got sponsored, uh, currently sponsored by Harry T's. I don't know if you want to say a word or two about that. And uh, we've got Gabe doing streaming. We've got Dave. I think I've seen articles uh, from you from on the mana base. So maybe talk to me about that a bit. Uh, yeah, I've done, um, I've done two limited reviews. Uh, I've did white and blue so far. I'm doing like every card. I'm a little slow on it because you know, I still, I'm still playing poker and everything, but I'm playing a lot of limited, so I'm going to do, like, all the colors, basically, as, as they come out on Matabase. And, yeah, we're both sponsored by Harry T. Um, we've, we're, you know, going there. to Like, Gabe's there all the time. I went there for pre-release. I'm going to go there for, like, other events and stuff like that. And they're moving soon. They're going brand-new location. So hopefully uh, everything goes smoothly and looks it looks nice. So come and hang out with us. We'll come... And then, yeah, I'm, I stream infrequently. I'm not like Gabe. I do it here and there, and I'll do draft, and I usually post on Twitter or Facebook when I'm doing it. But, yeah, Gabe's doing stream all the time, so if you guys want to watch, and I hang out in his stream all the time, too, so if you have any questions you guys want to ask, just drop by, and let me look at a deck list. I got no problem. I'll help you cut the last card. I'm pretty friendly on there, so, yeah. <laughs> what's, the, what's the best place? Actually, is Twitter the best place for, for someone that you don't know to, to reach out to you? Yeah, probably. Um, so it's DRoot519 on Twitter and then uh, DRoot MTG on Twitch whenever I'm streaming and stuff. Sweet, sweet. Gabe, besides streaming, is there anything uh, you want people to know about? Uh, no, like I've known the guys at Harry T for like 20 years now. I used to play Type 1 when Vintage used to be called Type 1 against Leon, who owns the place. And I've played basketball and stuff with Jeremy and I used to go to high school with Jeremy like 20 years ago so like uh, i know those guys really well and they've been pretty really really good to me um recently so the sponsorship is really really nice um you can find me at um gabe saying underscore twitter as well and my stream is gabe gabe saying on twitch man you gotta describe me the background that you have going on there you've got like a harry t hat you've got i think a Either a PT or a GP cup. I'm, I'm gonna click your window. You got a bunch of dragon shields there. Okay, well, this is the PT trophy right here, and this is the one we want with the Steve. And then here's the the nice Harry T hat. You <laughs> Nova check that they gave us for the for the team. Uh, I can't believe you carried that on the plane. And I just took it right out of there, out of Scott Larrabee's hands, and I'm just like. Okay, I'm going to take this on the plane. So I'm walking in the plane, carry on with this giant check, and they're like, what is going on? Why is this guy holding this giant plane, this giant check? <laughs> Here's my, memories. my team cup from 97 World Championship win. So, and here's the, the old cube with Michael Lacanto and Eric Tam's 61-card deck. Wow. So yeah, I have a whole little setup over here with my magic stuff. So does Gabe only only roll with dragon shields? Is that right? Uh, not only dragon shields. I have my let's see, <laughs> my really really nice carry tarantula sleeves over here. <laughs> you guys need any of those? Definitely hit up Harry T. Use my bonus code. Keep <laughs> saying five. <laughs> Okay, this segment couldn't have finished any better. Uh, okay, thank you guys so much for coming on. I'm, I look forward to seeing both of you on 
hopefully you guys will be willing to come on the show after another big win in uh, in the coming to, in 2018, hopefully. Yeah, so thanks for coming on, guys. Thanks, right, thanks for having us, man. All okay. right. That was uh, Gabe Sang and David Rude. Really glad to get to chat with these guys because they're just people that I've just heard about. Legendary, see them come back, uh, pick their brain. They're probably, let's, again, back to the topic of naming top Canadian players. It's funny that they're probably going back in, and after a few training sessions, they're probably back at the top. Um, it just seems to be that way. But again, I also acknowledge that there are new stars emerging. Um, Ginger, I, I admit that, just like Edgar, but like people like Paul Dean. Pascal Menard, anybody that tested with Lucas, to me, that's still like my generation of coming up, right? And I'd like to see new faces that I haven't seen like ten, like five, ten years ago. Yeah, the the Pascal Menard and the Paul Dean is the generation right before me, and I think me and Edgar are actually born in the same year. And so there's a couple people around our age that are on the, the up and coming, and then obviously there's a couple kids that are younger than us that are going to their first PTs and. Uh, going to Grand Prix and such, and it's nice to see the old uh, the old guard come back. Specifically, two of the best Canadian players ever. Like I still think people think that Gabe Sang's top five Canadian players of all time, and he hasn't played in fifteen years, which is just like kind of unreal, right? So, yeah, he he might even be number one. Um, I think I, th- I think I think he's actually better than Gary Wise, uh, even though Gary Wise is the only Canadian in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and I think if you ask most people on the BT from 15 years ago, they might say the same thing. I think I've talked to Gary himself, and he doesn't. He, I don't think he thinks of himself as the number one of all time. Um, okay, Trev, while we have you here for like the next 15 minutes, what, what do you think about what they said about the white cards um, changing value? Like Adamant Will and Pegasus Courser, have, have they fluctuated in value for you as well, or you always thought they were bonkers? I initially thought Adam at Will was kind of throwaway combat trick or whatever. And as it turns out, like when I did the set review with Ethan and we thought there's probably an aggressive red white deck, it turns out you can just pair white with anything and be aggressive if that's what you want to do. Now I've played a lot more sealed than I have draft, but I've already seen some aggressive decks pop up in sealed. So I think like that's an archetype people will need to be aware of whether it's I didn't open good cards, so I'm going to have to build it, or I actually have a good version of it is, is a separate thing. But I agree, the combat tricks have gotten better because if you're going to try to win with small creatures and a curve out, you need some beefy stuff to force them through all of the powerful stuff that's coming. So yeah, I think Adam at Will is a little bit, little bit better than I thought it was, which was, you know, throwaway combat trick 01. <laughs> <laughs> what about Pegasus Courser? The card's just great. It's just great. In the review, I was like, well, the problem is maybe it's not going to block all that well. Well, just don't block with it, and you're fine. Like, that's pretty easily solved. Put in your deck with 3-1 Knights and just kill people with it. And I think Gabe mentioned Run Amok as his card that went from the fluctuated the most as well. Um, another two-mana combat trick, I guess it falls under the same category for you uh, when it comes to Adamant's Will. Actually, like fervent strike a little bit better. Um, if if you're, I think this is his love for high variant strategies because when run amok look works, my god, does it look great! Uh, but when it doesn't, your guy's just dead and it's kind of over because you can only use it in the attack step. So right, so it it, it kind of reminds me of old tricks that would give like 
um, plus three, plus one in trample, or just just trample. So you're just looking to use this mainly to force damage. So if you can craft a deck that's looking to force damage, it's quite good. If you're just looking for a generic combat trick to put in most of your decks, I actually like Fervent Strike better for that. Because it functionally is one you have to use in combat too, and it's just a little bit cheaper. But I, I, I think that's what's going on there, is his love for the high variant strategy is pushing him a little bit for that one. I brought you on because, you know, we want to discuss Arena a bit just really quickly because when I, when I tune in during work hours uh, to your stream, it's recently, it's been Arena most of the time. Maybe I'm just popping in and it's coincidentally it's Arena. So no. you must be loving it. Oh, yeah, Arena's fantastic. This is what I've wanted out of Magic Online from the beginning. Like, there's some problems. There's some bugs. Not all of the formats that I would like to have there are there, but it's just so much fun to play in the interface. And like, I like that the games have something on the line. Like, I could play Magic Online, and when I'm winning, it feels pretty good. When I take two losses in a row and I've just like burned, you know, 40 fake dollars on two sealed leagues, that can sting a little bit. And there were times where I'd like play magic for five hours online and be like, I got to go play something else. I'm, I'm tilting. And like, I just, I can't get that invested in my thousand gold tournament because that's, that's not real dollars, right? Like if I lose, I'm losing something like 50 cents, who cares? But it's just enough on the line that I want to keep playing and I'm not going to insta scoop. So I, I think they've hit a really good balance for me there. I'm very interested to see where this is going to go competitively because I, I don't expect a lot of competitive paper magic players to, you know, abandon ship and move to arena. However, I do expect a competitive scene to develop around it. Uh, and I'm very interested to see what we might get there. So yeah, I'm having a blast with arena. So what exactly are you streaming? What format uh, are you streaming and is your audience loving it? Uh, I'm the, the format that's available now is kind of a weird constructed format, which is basically standard without Kaladesh best of one only so no sideboard uh there's also no ban list so like in in this weird format i've built a pretty good mono red deck that includes uh raptor jesus and remunap ruins because they're not banned here turns out they're pretty good we've also had fun with some mono green decks that are looking to like uh basically hit a turn three threat the five four dude guild leaf elf knight whatever his name is you turn three that it's pretty good uh, they have drafts on the weekends. They just did Hour of Devastation draft over last weekend, and I drafted the heck out of that. That's my favorite draft format that's ever been. Uh, so spent a lot of time doing that, and they'll have Dominaria drafts this weekend, so I'll be doing those too. But, but is your audience loving it, or do they like? Do you see them complain to you that they want to see you draft Dominaria? <laughs> <laughs> no. What I've seen happen is things are going great. We've got 200 viewers. like. And it's full of new people asking questions. I see stuff like, I used to play Magic 10 years ago, and this has me interested in coming back. What does this card do? Or, I came from Hearthstone. Why are the creatures healing at end of turn? Like, <laughs> it's awesome. And I'm like, okay, guys, we're going to switch over and play in this PTQ. And I get started building the deck, and I look over, and there's 50 people there. And then wow. I finish the PTQ, and I go back to Arena. And over the next 30 minutes, all of a sudden, there's, there's 100, a couple hundred, 300 Last Friday, 600 people, they're like, so how does this card work? Like, there, there are new new people coming to watch Magic Online. If you think about it, how do you get into Magic Online? You have to play in paper. You have to be really invested in paper to get to Magic Online. For Arena, you just have to be like, hey, this looks cool. 
wow, so you have firsthand experience that this is actually working in terms of attracting what I would like to call noobs. Um, I'm the so- king of the noobs, man. <laughs> have you signed up to that streaming thing uh, that they've uh, tried to promote, like uh, to be an official Watsi streamer? You better believe it, man. Has that started yet? Um, they're going through some of the checks and balances and processes and such right now. Should be happening soon. I was very lucky to be in the preview stream for Dominaria. So I've actually drafted Dominaria on Arena. Uh, I think about 30 people have. Oh. Um, so it, it was kind of cool. It was kind of cool. I love it. I love it. Okay, Derek, uh, you've been streaming just normal NTGO, I think. And you've had a lot more success than, than Gabe Sang, who is a lot more famous than you in real life or should be. Why do you think that is? Why do you think you trounced him like 100 to 1 last time you were both together? I'm like, hey, game streaming, but there's nobody watching, and you've got a bunch of people. So what's the key to your success of being like, well, let me check, you were like the third most popular in, in the time slot you did it in. Um, I think the first thing is format. A lot of people, it's like, we hear this complaint in live Grand Prix, not a lot of people liking, like watching Limited, um, just because... It's it's difficult to follow. Um, there's a lot going on, and if like when I first started playing competitive Magic, I used to watch LSV draft to learn to draft, and then I would watch other people draft and be like, I don't think LSV would make that play. It's probably incorrect, or I don't I don't think this person would make that play. This or I wouldn't make that pick. This is probably incorrect. And so there's like a large like I want to say dissonance. I don't know if that's the right word between like um, what's actually correct in theory and like what people are doing. And so when I'm watching somebody, I want to make sure that I'm getting a good uh, like result from what they're doing. Right. And if I don't agree with what they're doing, then it just doesn't matter. It's a throwaway. And so in standard for the most part, as long as I'm in like top 10 trophy leaders, people will watch me. Um, and I put in the time and I put in the effort and people understand that I know what I'm talking about and my results show it in limited I can be one of the highest trophy leaders and people would still tell me I'm wrong. Um, same thing happens with Numot. Same thing happens with so many times, right? So the first thing is the format. Second thing is um, like entertainment. And I don't care if I, like, if I lose uh, as much as like, I'm sure Gabe Sang trying to get back in cares a lot more about being correct in his plays and like understanding the format than I do when I'm streaming. Right. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with it. We, if you look at, uh, Travis said earlier, like people really enjoy the casualness of arena. If you go look at, uh, the Twitch top 10 right now, I can guarantee you that there's top 10 probably has more arena. And that's because there's a lot of noobs that are more invested in Twitch than there are competitive players. And there's a lot of newer players invested in Twitch from Hearthstone and other games that made Twitch big. Um, and so like when you, when you scroll down, you see Gabe Sang's name, that doesn't mean anything. You see some random ginger kid that's spouting off about something ridiculous. And like, I have all invite other people on and like, we'll talk about random ridiculous things. People would rather listen and watch that than like one of the best drafters of all time. Talk about his plays and picks, right? Cause a, maybe they don't agree with him and B they just like, it might not be interesting for them. Um, and there's, there's obviously other things going on, uh, that like it's, it's case specific, right. But I think those are the two biggest things on why I would have more viewers than Gabe. 
Although as time moves on, if uh, if Gabe starts winning some more and gets his name out there, and people like Tim Atten or like even Huey or somebody else big mentions, hey, this is one of the best drafters in the world, I can guarantee you people will go in there and watch. Uh, but nobody other than Newmont, I really has ever like when I watch Caleb, Caleb and Newmont, um, like that they they're the only two limited players I think that have a lot of viewers. Whereas like mostly it's other constructed players. You look at Hooglin, you look at uh, Matthew Folks, you look at Jim Davis. Um, and it's cause I think limit is just difficult to watch and understand in a thorough way. Sorry if that was long winded and long. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Um, what I do think is like Gabe has, um, he has the video and sound pretty on point. From what I've seen, and, and Travis, you have it like crazily on point. Like the audio is crisp as it could possibly be. Your setup is insane, and uh, it's a joy to listen to your voice. Just like the quality. Well, you've either got to be good or have good production value. So I figure <laughs> I'll do the production value, and we'll see about skill later. <laughs> skill zero. Um, yeah. Oh, wow, man, man, I'm. I'm I'm so happy for you that that arena came came uh, as a way for you to get a lot more viewers than uh, limited MTGO. Then it's it's it, I'm ecstatic that it's done well for you. Uh, before we end the show, just wanted to get pick your brain. We don't have that much time, um, which was to ask you what led to you when I jumped on stream. What led to you being more aggressive uh, in keeping and not mulliganing when when we first met. I felt you weren't aggressive enough. You agreed. And then at some point you shifted back, I guess, the other way. So when did you make that like little tweak? So when we first met, I would, I would basically not mulligan enough. Right. And we had a conversation at GP Portland about that. And I got the idea that I should mulligan a little more often. And I I got in the habit of doing that. And then I I sat down and did the math uh, for a podcast that is hosted on the Mana Deprived podcast network called Men From Moto. It's episode 18. It was a couple years back if you want to go back and check this one out. But Dave and I decided to actually do the math on what you should keep and what you shouldn't because I, I began to get a sense for what was keepable and limited and what wasn't, but I hadn't actually quantified it. And I, I was watching a streamer. I'm not going to name names, but they had a hand that had... Misplaced ginger? No, 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 no. I... <laughs> I, it was a well-known constructed streamer who was playing limited okay. and it had a hand that looked great to me. And they were just like, this doesn't do anything until turn three, I'm going to ship it. And this was in like Kaladesh sealed. And I was like, you don't need to do anything until turn three. What are you, what are you doing? And much like Derek said, I just closed the stream. I was like, I'm not going to watch this. Right. So, the, I mean, there's just, it's a problem there, but like when we did the math, it came down to the times you should mulligan and limited are basically never. Like, if you have a one lander and you're on the play, or you have all lands or no lands, those are the situations where you should, you should auto-mulligan. If you have a one lander on the draw, you should really look at your hand. You should really look at your hand because it's probably a lot more keepable than you think. And we went through and, like, way back in the day, MTGO Goldfish would, like, data mine, like, thousands of games. As soon as you mulligan and limited, regardless the format, you were just shaving off 10%. Like, it's just gone. 
Like you went from 50% to win to 40% to win. And I understand that like not every hand that I keep, even if it gets there, is going to win. I know that's a given, but just the basic math, seeing people mulligan two landers on the draw or two landers on the play, like with a three drop, well, maybe I don't get there. I'll just send this back. It's like, it's limited, man. Like in constructed, if I know that I'm playing Jund and you're playing a combo deck and I've got an opener that doesn't have thought sees, it's, it's going back. Like I need to interact with your hand because this lightning bolt I wanted to side out but couldn't is not going to get the job done. This is not that. I'm not looking for that. And there were a lot of people that argued that the scry changed it, and it functionally doesn't because you're still down a card, and the only decision you're making when you look at that scry is, is this a land? Because you either need them or you don't. And like that, that doesn't really change much. So like I, I think I made that transition around when we recorded that episode. And I think the, the best piece of advice I could give to people that want to get better at limited is just try playing a full limited, like draft, sealed, whatever it is you're doing, and then only consider mulliganing if it's all lands, no lands, or one land on the play. Other than that, just keep it and see what happens. It'll blow your mind. Well, I'm going to have to check that episode. Um, is it purely math, Trev? Because you, right in your discussion right here, you just mention a few different factors um that i don't know if you actually care about like when you're actually in play like you mentioned it's limited so you are alluding to like speed of the specific draft format right yeah but it never matters that much right like in gate crash sure we're going to have a different conversation or gate crash or zendikar we're going to have a different conversation right and that'll that'll be a little different but it's still not that much different like the people love to talk about how they've got an aggro deck in draft, but you really don't. You've got a deck with five two drops and some combat tricks. It's not a real <laughs> aggro deck, right? Like I play mono red aggro. I've got 10 one drops. That's an aggro deck, right? These are just various flavors of mid range decks. Like, ooh, you're playing a control deck because you've got a counter spell and two removal spells. That's not a control deck. I mean, uh, that's, that's just not what that is. I, I don't know. I agree. I part of it I agree with. I agree with the mulligan that when you mulligan, it shaves off a percentage. But I I don't agree that you just shouldn't mulligan as much. Um, mostly like I don't know. It's hard to explain without specific circumstances. But like if I have uh, a three green card hand, one white card, and two planes on the play, I'll probably mulligan it. Or if if I have um, if I'm playing playing a three color deck and I have one basic island in my deck, and I have, like, <laughs> Mountain Island, and it, like, three other colors, I'll probably mulligan it, right? But, like, I probably just would never keep those hands, even if they have two lands, you know what I mean? Just because, like, the chances that you hit is so small, and there's so many games that, like, if you just don't interact with your opponent, even by turn four, you're just dead, even in slow formats. So, okay. like, I actually, like, I agree with you, maybe... Like the idea that oh I don't in, I don't do anything till turn three is incorrect, but like keeping three lands four spells is usually a keep. Keeping two lands five spells is usually a keep as long as your curve doesn't start at four. But for the most part, like I think I would mulligan usually more often in limited than I would in constructed, just because the the specific cards are more important. You know what I mean? And I like don't... if I. 
I don't think that they are like I, I, in the, the problem may be that you don't mulligan too much, Derek, because like you're a very experienced magic player. You play limited, you play constructed, but I'm talking about for the average player. I, I don't think the, the cards are as impactful in limited as they are in constructed because like constructed, we're just swinging all powerful cards and there may be one that I need for a specific matchup. Like if we played a couple games and I, I know that we're both control decks I'm pro like legitimate control decks. We're both playing an approach mirror. I'm not keeping a two lander. I just need to throw out lands for like eight turns and then we'll start firing off our card draw and have a negate battle. Right. But like in limited, like it, it, the card quality is is so flat these days that I, I just don't think it matters that much. But like when I ran the math, like a one lander on the draw is 75% to hit its second land. Like you've got two draws you're probably going to get there. And once I ran that math, because I, I mulligan one-landers on the draw routinely, once I ran that math and looked at it, I started keeping them. And chat would call me crazy. But I, like doing this in front of hundreds of people, I found that about three-quarters of the time, it works out really well for me. I've even kept one-landers and flooded. I had people be like, what kind of hand did you keep? Like that have obviously come in later that are like, you've got all these lands. And then somebody else in chat was like, he kept a one lander. And they're like, oh, like I, I'm with you. And, and maybe it changes some in a high tournament. But like the more I play, the more I'm like, I just I just don't want a mulligan and limited. I, uh, I also don't like mulligan and limited specifically. But I think your idea that specific cards don't matter in limited and they do matter in constructed is switched. Where I think specific cards in standard don't matter because everybody can have up to four of them so if like if, if i play against my component we're both playing the scarab god mirror if my opponent plays a scarab god there's a chance i also play a scarab god right so their actual bomb equity is so much lower because the the chance of them just beating me when they play this random five drop is is reduced by so much but if my opponent has a bomb and limited and i can't beat it unless i hit the one card in my sideboard so like I, in GB Toronto, my opponent was playing uh, a catcher's monument limited, and that card's busted as long as you have 12 creatures in your deck. I had a trespasser's curse in my deck, and I probably can't win unless I hit trespasser's curse from turns one to seven if my opponent plays a catcher's monument on turn three. And so I mulliganed a four land hand with three spells that I could play, but I just lose to a catcher's monument. And then I hit Trespasser's Curse on my six. And I think that like mulligan choices like that, like if you have a naturalized, if you have other effects, like you have to try to hit these cards to beat your opponent's cards, right? And I think that's like critically thinking and limited is where a lot of players don't make, like that's how they're not ascending, right? It's like, oh, they just think, oh, my opponent has a bomb. I can't beat it. It's like, no, you probably can. You just have to play more proactively or more aggressively or understand the actual threat density of your deck. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm with you, um, but I I don't think I would have mulliganed that hand. I, lo <laughs> I, lo I love I love this topic actually. I, I just like I don't know. I think if if you if you if you honestly believe that you can't beat an opponent's bomb, you have to mulligan. And if you honestly believe that, <laughs> like I don't know. I feel like, if, well, here, here's the thing. Like, I've also done the math on how likely are they to have it. Um, and it, it's, it's probably more likely than a lot of people would think. 
right? I, I don't remember the numbers. I had them when we started doing the math episode. But like, they're kind of likely to find their bomb in a game of limited where nobody runs over anybody and nobody gets mana screwed or mana flooded. But I, I think one of the challenges comes down to like a, a base theory of limited. And I believe that most games of limited are won or lost. And by most, I'm, I'm talking probably 51%. Okay, not a huge amount, but enough based on who draws the right mix of lands and spells. That that's the biggest deciding factor, not any individual card. Because again, it could be on the bottom of their deck, it could be in the opening hand, but if I get stuck on two lands and you get to five and curve out, you're probably winning. And if you get flooded and I draw you know, three more action spells than you, even if you hit your bomb, I'm probably still winning at that point. So if you ascribe to that theory that the variance actually owns most of limited, and by most, again, it can be 51%, then I'm, I'm never going to do anything that will lead to me being on the wrong side of that variance. I want to make sure that I hit those land drops and that I'm casting spells and attacking. Like the, the biggest thing for me too is like, if you mulligan seven, you're not guaranteed to get a better six. Sometimes you will. And if you're looking for a specific card like Derek's suggesting, then you absolutely will. And, and like I said, I've, I've done that in modern, specifically with Jund against combo decks. That's most of my constructed experience. But in limited, I just want to make sure I'm on the right side of that variance. Because like I've, I've mulligan seven and then hit a no lander before. But like, can't keep this. That's that's but like one of the things that Rob taught me and he used to scream this at me was that if you if you mulligan a bad hand and you get a worse hand, you can't just be like, oh, it's because I mulliganed. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, 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 for sure. But but like if I'm if my hand is bad, like it's a one lander, statistically, whether I hit a land in the first two times, 75%, whatever. I'm also giving myself a 25% just lose, right? Yes. I don't know the number, if that's, if that's true, if that is a true statement. If I mulligan to six and I give myself a 60-40, I would take that. Because, because it raises both percentages, right? I don't know if that's the actual number. Even if shave is 10, 10%, like if I just lose 10%, if it's 60-30, I'll take it because it's higher than the chance that I just lose. Right. I'm with you, but my perspective is still like that because a lot of people will say, well, what's the chance you get to play magic? And I'm like, we're sitting at the table. I'm looking at this hand. This decision is playing magic. So for for me, I've, I've erred on that side of it. And I feel like my results have been better since I have. And it may be that I just started at a worse place because like I still mulligan, right? I still mulligan a lot more than I want to. I just feel like I've seen so many people who play that are almost eager to mulligan or, well, this doesn't have this specific card that I'm looking for. So I'm going to send it back. And I'm like, I, I don't think there's that many scenarios where that comes up in limited. I, I agree with you that a lot of people are either too eager to mulligan or not eager enough to mulligan. And the actual in between of mulliganing at the correct time is not, is not high enough. Like I don't even think I mulligan hundred percent correct at the time. But the thing is saying that you shouldn't mulligan as much as an absolute is not, I don't think that's the correct statement to make. I think it should be, you should be running the numbers more and critically thinking about the format and your hand and what's in your deck and what you've seen from your opponent compared to, Oh, you just shouldn't mulligan as much. You know what I mean? And, and like, I think when you said you lose like something like 51% of the games to variance, that means everybody's losing that 51% of games to variance, right? And so, like, if every time I walk into a match, I used to complain about 
like losing the variance. And somebody said to me, do you actually believe you get, you get more unlucky than other people? Or do you actually think that what you're, what you're doing is not lowering the variance of the plays you're making? And I think that was a level up moment for me and saying to myself, I need to make plays that lower my variance compared to uh, making high plays that give me a higher chance to win, but a higher chance to lose at the same time. And like, I think that critically understanding when you're supposed to mulligan and limited is one of those first points and understanding that resources are important. Yes. But if I have an arc lightning in my deck and I mulligan uh, a one lander on the seven, then I can still recoup that, that two for one back from my opponent. Or if they flood out because they kept a three lander, uh, with a bunch of four drops and I hit my two drop, three drop, you know what I mean? I just think that like, it's just. Derek, you're saying no, I mean a lot. We, we got you. We got you. You understand I, what I'm saying? Uh, yes. Yes. To, I uh, see what you were saying. So, someone at my work says that all the time. And uh, yeah, we, we, we try to tell them, but you know, when you're in the habit and, and Medina says, you know a lot also. Um, shout out to Doug for being in the chat, being so active. Shout out for, to David Rude for, for joining the chat, um, listening to this take. I, honestly, I think maybe, Travis, maybe you were coming from, from a worse place and now, now you're doing it better than before. Um, for sure, people, most people, your fans, uh, are going to think you're too strong and smoking. <laughs> Still going to think you're crazy. But I, appreci- I, I recommend people to check out your episode because I'm, I'm going to want to listen to it. Um, just to see uh you know strong takes opinions are always needed to, to have a good active discussion and uh yeah excited to, to check out you want to say something you want to finish off uh, with something trap yeah I, I just want to throw this out there that like this this is my hill to die on and like i die on it regularly on stream every single day <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure <laughs> nothing brings me more pleasure than to a someone will come in and see me with a hand and I'll reflexively keep it. Like I won't discuss it with chat. I'll just click keep. You're saying, chat you're, saying you're a masochist. You're saying you enjoy the pain of getting roasted by chat. Only about three fourths of the time, because what happens more often than not is somebody <laughs> says, I can't believe you keep that kept that. That was an auto mole. And then I curve out perfectly and annihilate my opponent. So oh 75% of the time you're a masochist, 25% of the time you're, you're rightly crucified. I, I, think, I think it's about 75% of the time I look like a golden god, and we have a sim god emote for exactly that moment. And then 25% of the time I look like a just idiot, just so stupid, and they have fun with it. But like for me, when I'm playing in the PTQs online, like I still abide by this. And just basically, my argument is do everything you can to talk yourself out of mulliganing if you think it's a good idea. And if you can't do that, go ahead and click the mulligan button. Like, <laughs> that's where it really comes down to is like, how many different ways can I talk myself into not mulliganing this? And like one lander on the draw with a handful of six drops, we probably got to talk about decks construction. Why are you playing so many six drops? But that's not here. Yeah, there's some hands I'll mulligan. But generally speaking, most two land hands, whether I'm on the play or the draw, I'm going to keep them and like four, four spells, three land, you know, that three, four mix. I'm keeping all of those. Like I'm not even <laughs> going to think about it. <laughs> oh, I, I love this topic because uh, I mentioned in the middle of the discussion, because it's like the first fiery discussion we've had in a while, especially Derek against uh, an, un, well, I'm not frequent co-host of ours. So glad to have That's that. Of course we disagreed about something. We usually see eye to eye on like everything. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't limited. Limited is like everybody has their own play style, but yeah. I think I think that that recognizing, like you said, resources are very important in limited is one of the the first things that people don't understand. They compare constructed to limited. Constructed, the resources don't matter as much because you have you have haymakers and catch me ups. And limited, when you mulligan, you actually just lose an entire card. It, like you said, it could be ten percent of your losses are like attributed to mulliganing. But I also think that like you can lose 20% if you don't mulligan the right time. Uh, and recognizing that is important and speaking in absolutes towards mulligans is not where I like to be. Just well, that's the rob from yelling at me. For years. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to extend this, this conversation. I want to end the show, uh, but uh, I just want to talk to ginger about this point. Like to me, I feel, I thought the point was that mulliganing wasn't that bad because the extra card, depending on the format, is not worth as much in limited sometimes. Like, if they draw, if they have an extra 2-2, like, no big deal. Like, if they have a land, depending on the situation, you're not hurt as much as... That, that's, not, that's where I thought you were going to go towards. Am I wrong, uh, Derek? It's, it's, it's not that the 2-2 doesn't matter, the 2-2. Um, it's just that, like, the, a 2-2 can win you a game. Um, if you if you leverage it the right way, and it's 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 not a two two, it's a random card, right? And right, so right. Like, like like I said, if I have arc lightning in my deck and I get a two for one out of that, I'm up a card. So limited right. doesn't always come down to who has the most amount of resources, but usually it's about leveraging your resources so they get the most value out of them and understanding how to use your resources properly. And so like in a perfect world, you could actually just like if we were playing Hearthstone mana you would just play the most powerful spell and usually those cost more, but because of curve considerations and not getting run over, like you get caught with resources in your hand. So you have to be able to like leverage your resources to trade one for one. So you don't die. So you can play your better spells later. If I'm down an entire resource, whether that be a land, a two, two, uh, a bomb that I didn't draw a turn later, you're just out a card, right? But if I have a card like art lightning, my deck, that makes it so I can kill their two drop and their three drop or kill their three drop. That's going to kill me. And that's on my six. I'd rather mulligan instead of just like, cause like this, the seventh or sixth card might just not matter if I get run over. You know what I mean? If I have only two lands in my hand and I have four drops. Right, 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 right. We know what you mean there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to shout out to our first producers. Dr. Good, Kalis Merchick, Chate, Thomas Eaton, Sasha Papo, Derek Pite himself, Matthew Kelly, Adrian Merchinson, and still my secret admirer. Shout out to all of First Strike Nation. Thank you for all the support. Shout out to Gabe Zhang, David Rude, Doug P in the chat, Aaron Barrett, everyone that's in the chat. Shout out to you, Travis, uh, for taking more heat, for being called crazy. I, I love that. And uh, for dying on your hill. Respect that. Uh, thanks, Derek. Congrats to Andy. Uh, for being engaged now and for winning the Toronto Open. And, uh, you know, again, support us, patreon.com slash first strike. And we will see you on uh, next episode. Thanks for joining in. If you like the episode, give us a thumbs up or subscribe to our YouTube, YouTube channel or definitely subscribe on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. Ciao, guys. Thank you.